0: Oh, Recorded live. Terry Mays called in.
1: Hello, everyone. This is Weldon Johnson. Welcome to a special Olympic Marathon trial, one month out edition of let Track Talk. I'm um, joined by Let'sRun.com co-founder Robert Johnson and Let'sRun.com Jonathan Galt. Welcome, everyone.
2: How are you doing?
1: Doing well, doing well. Um, And we're going to have some cool audio today from uh, Kevin Hansen. hopefully hopefully some audio from Dina Caster and Ryan Hall, but uh, the man of the hour is going to be a man who may not even be running the Olympic marathon trials, but... We feel like he's a, a great uh, person to join us on our special Trials Edition podcast, and that's uh, American Hopeful Chris Derrick. Chris will be joining us in a um, few minutes, but I, th- <laughs> I think he
0: may be here, Well, then He may have called in. I'm not
1: sure. Chris, Chris. can you hear us? <laughs> yep, I'm here. Oh, wow. Even better. We can just, you know, get right down uh, to it, um, but sort of it's... I don't know, you know, I'm, I'm not an athlete, but it's kind of hard to believe that the Olympic trials are already here. It's already 2016 and they're only one month away. It's going to be a huge year on um, let'srun.com and sort of, I I can't imagine sort of what, what Chris is, is thinking right now. But Chris, um, welcome. Um, thank you for joining us. We know you sort of like podcasts in general, and we really appreciate you uh, giving us the time today, even if you may or may not be running the trials. Um, so I guess sort of just, you know, start off, tell us, what, what, where do you stand with the trials next month?
3: Yeah, uh, well, thanks for having me on.
4: Um, so, yeah, so we decided to kind of do the training um, to, you know, give the, give the trials a shot, um, you know, partly because we think that in the long term, we think the marathon will be my best event, um, or at least we think there's a possibility. Obviously, um, you know, the marathon's a little harder to predict than other events. Um, and we kind of – you know, the way we normally train this time of year anyway is, is very, uh, aerobic, you know, long aerobic workouts focused. Um, and so we felt like there was kind of a, a somewhat minimal risk, um, in terms of, in terms of making a go at it. Um, you know, I mean sort of the worst case scenario is, you know, I go out there and it, it goes badly and I, I don't know, I, I've never out of a race, but I, you know, if I, if it goes really badly at 20 miles, 20 miles or whatever, I, drop out, and I had a hard long run, and I can go get ready for the track, um, which isn't to, you know, minimize the importance of the race or anything, um, so that's kind of, that was kind of our mindset going in, like, you know, this this could, this, if, uh, you know, there's only so many Olympic years, and if this is going to be, you know, possibly my, my best event, we should, we should take as many chances um, as we can, so I'm um, still, still kind of just doing the training, and, um, you know, got a, a, a key workout coming up, and we'll kind of, judge based off that and health and all those other things um, to see if it makes the most sense uh, in the long run.
1: I think a, a key phrase you said there is, you know, there's only so many
4: Olympic years.
1: Uh, did, did your experience four years ago sort of, you know, maybe shape your decision to, to try or think about trying, you know, doing the Olympic marathon trials because you, know, you were fourth of the 10K and it's, it's so close, but it's yet so far away from the Olympics.
4: Yeah. And I think, um, you know, that in... That experience was, was, I think, very instructive, just in that um, I don't think I really went for it in terms of the way I structured my season. Um, you know, I still doubled at conference, and actually that's, you know, when I ended up kind of hurting my foot, and then I kind of went into the trials, and I had had the, you know, six weeks of, you know, really bad plantar fasciitis and not great training and just feeling tired, and not uh you know just basically feeling really down um and just basically wanting to not run terrible um and then i ran and i ran whatever 2740 and i got fourth and then kind of the, the next day i mean not even that day kind of the next day i was like wow i was really close to making an olympic team i probably you know i i did some i did some really dumb things over the last two months or whatever i, I probably should have done about this whole differently um and so I think, you know, I think then I was kind of I was afraid to maybe, you know, go all in on on, you know, giving myself every chance to make the team. I was kind of, I didn't want to go to my coaches and be like, hey, I don't want to run, you know, to Atlantic Conference. Um, you know, I didn't want to like, uh, you know, sort of make that stand. Um, and so I I do kind of, you know, I regret that, and I think that um, it's sort of informed, um, you know, just my opinion that you know things there's only so many chances to to do stuff like this. Um, and obviously it doesn't necessarily, you know, in, uh, in, in some sort of logical way, it doesn't define a career. You know, there's so many, you know, you have so many races and so much training and all that stuff, but in some real way it kind of does define your career, whether or not you make an Olympic team. Um, and so, you know, we kind of talked about this going about back about a year and I did some training last winter that kind of was more geared in this direction. And, um, yeah, I mean, I I just I started training this winter, and training went really well, and I felt like I was getting in good shape. So we decided, you know, why not give myself every possibility to, you know, make as many teams as I can.
3: Hey, you
1: can't really blame that uh, logic. With the marathon, though, you know, you do have to sort of adjust the training. And in an email, you know, setting up this call, you said you viewed uh, Jerry Schumacher's, you know, his workout sort of as, his intellectual IP and, you know, we, I get that, so, uh, you know, not going into specifics about workouts, but sort of, um, you know, have, have you found you got to do longer runs for the marathon? You know, how have you, mm-hmm. how have you found that just in general? I mean, do you like some people just don't, you know, they, the 10 K's as far as they go, they don't like the mindset of going out and running a 20 mile or, or that sort of thing. How have you found the longer marathon type runs?
4: Uh, yeah, I mean, I've really enjoyed them thus far. And I think that was kind of, we knew that coming in that the long run was kind of my strength, and um, that was part of the reason why we made you know made this decision um, I think in terms of uh, racing, I probably need to uh, need to get into a little more of a longer distance mindset in terms of you know, i think i mean even when I ran that half marathon, I think not that I was you know going all out or anything from the gun, but i you know haven't I haven't quite developed that sense of just you know total total calm and relaxation at the very beginning that maybe I have when I do, you know, when I run cross or whatever. Um, So I think that's definitely a, you know, a learning curve for me. Um, But as far as the, yeah, just doing the really long runs, I mean, I like them a lot. Um, You know, and it's something, the long run was always kind of a a point of emphasis for me, kind of just throughout my training, going all the way back to high school.
1: So when do you think you'll sort of make a decision on the trials? I mean, do you think you'll, the week of or? Further out, or I mean, are you going to keep it? Or are you just kind of, kind of, you know, last time, uh, Galen Rupp sort of people didn't kept it quiet to the week of the trials that he wasn't actually doing it. So, you know, is there a date in your mind, sort of, where you where you make a decision?
4: Um, I mean, I think I think I'll know in the next couple of weeks. Here, we've got a few workouts kind of coming up, and if if I can do those and come off of those still feeling healthy and good, then then I think you know, there's we'll we'll go for it. Um, um and if those go badly or Beast me up too much, and it doesn't seem like I'm going to be, you know, ready to make a strong run for the team. Then, then we'll probably um, cash in. But I mean, I, I would expect probably two weeks out, we would have a pretty solid idea, you know, provided that everybody you know stay
3: healthy and all that, all that stuff.
1: And are you the only male marathoner in the group?
3: Uh, no, um, just-, <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, just Yeah, just um, you. Well, I shouldn't be the one asking all the questions. Uh, Jonathan or Robert, you guys got anything for Chris?
2: Um, one thing I was wondering, Chris, um, you know, you're the three-time defending U.S. cross country champion. Uh, you know, U.S. cross is about a week before, uh, the trials this year. So I guess, you know, are you, are you thinking about doing that as an option if you don't run the trials or, and if you do, I mean, do you think, you know, you're going to miss it if you don't run it? Uh, yeah. I mean, I I haven't
4: really thought about it too much. um, Obviously it would it would be kind of it'd be nice to continue having a streak. Um I do I think unfortunately just with how it shapes up for the trials in terms of who normally runs, um, I think it it might not be as strong of a year as usual in terms of um just the field. Uh obviously no World Cross this year and then a lot of with indoors being in the US, um and then the trials the week le- the week after I think a lot of guys who normally would do it might not be there, which is kind of unfortunate because I really like Cross, and I, I do enjoy that race. Um, yeah, I mean, it would be a bummer to, to miss that, but um, I don't know. I mean, uh, I was an economics major. Life's about trade-offs, so uh, sometimes you gotta, you got to face the opportunity cost.
1: Your Stanford professors will be proud of that one. <laughs> um,
4: oh,
1: We've got a... Chat thing going here. Is, is Matt Teigenkamp still training with you guys in the he... uh
4: Matt Matt's been helping me out a lot. I mean, Matt uh, I think all throughout his career has kind of prided himself on being able to do workouts and races off of very little training. Um, so he's come out for a couple of workouts and um, kind of thrown himself into it and helped me out a bit. Um, I think he he had a bit of a hip problem in the in the fall. Uh, I'm not sure what his his long term future plans are but um he i don't he will not be running the trials that's not not good to hear but uh okay.
1: so
0: this is robert i'll finally chime in before i ask chris a question i wanted to ask you a question what Well, then when he started this show acted like he had no idea what chris was thinking right now i mean <laughs> you did compete in these trials twice yourself and have you forgotten that is 12 years too long to remember is your brain already completely shot
1: Oh, well, some of what Chris said, you know, sort of made, brought back sort of memories because I was probably the exact opposite of Chris uh, when I first made the trials in in 2000 and I never made MTAs and then sort of in the lead up to the trials, I PR'd at 10K about like a minute and 20 seconds and USA Today came out with saying like 10 people to watch the trials and like my name's on it. I'm like, my gosh, like what's going on here? And I, I sort of, you know, Chris was saying he didn't want to change workouts around and I remember thinking, like, well, four years from now, I'm probably going to have a much better chance. I, the one thing I do remember was being on the starting line saying, like, you may be hurt in four years. You know, there may not be another opportunity for this. Like, it was just totally what, you know, Chris was saying about the Olympics don't come around very often. I was like, you know, just give yourself a chance in this race. And um, I wanted to put myself in at contention. attention. Only one guy made the team. Sort of halfway through, I caught up to this group, and I looked around, and there's people way ahead of us. The group had Todd Williams, and Rod Dehaven in it, and I'm like, "Yeah, the winner's gonna come from this group." And it was just so hot and stuff. So, you know, I, I gave myself a chance and sort of. I think with the Olympics, you, you never know. I mean, look at Chris Linsky, right? Never made an Olympic team, um, and, and just amazingly good as he is. So, and for the the person at large on the street, you know, the Olympics are everything. So it's sort of, um, I don't know. When you start out running, you dream of the Olympics. At least I did. I I don't know, Chris, like sort of what are your
4: early memories of the Olympics? Uh, I feel like this is where I'm supposed to have a sweet inspirational story. Um, But honestly, I don't really remember the early early Olympics (laughs) at all. Um, When I started running, I wanted to get a varsity letter. So that was my big goal. Um, Yeah. I, honestly, I don't, I don't really have much, you know, much memory of that. I think, uh, I don't really remember when I thought of it as being a possibility. Um, know, the, the way I've kind of always approached training, at least, is that you know, training is about the process. Um, you know, each day focusing on what you can do to improve, and obviously, you know, there are parameters to that. If you're if you really desperately want something, maybe you take more risks. Um, but sort of, you know, up to this point in my career, I think it's always been a build for the long term, which I think involves. Kind of more of a you know more of a straightforward, just putting in work each day to try to get better, and then you know kind of see where that gets you, kind of thing. And then you sort of, at least for me, worried about the big overriding goals and that sort of motivation on race day um, when you're trying to get the most out of yourself. But I, for me, the training, I guess, has always just been more of a kind of a process-oriented thing. Um, and and I, I mean, a lot of people are different, obviously. You can go, you go around runner, run Twitter or whatever and see hashtag Road to Rio and people's meditations and all that stuff. Um, you know, some people get a lot out of that. And for me, I, I think uh, that can be counterproductive. I think for me, good training is uh, not too many ups and not too many downs, and that just kind of comes from, you know, focusing on the process.
0: So, you know, the focus is on the process, but do you at the same time sort of think – you know, what type of time or what type of fitness you need to be in to make the team? I mean, I'm not sure what the U.S. debut record is, but it might be something close to that. That might, you know, do you think I need to be in 208, 209 shape? Or do you not worry about that type of stuff? Uh,
4: I mean, I think I try not to stress about it too much. Um, just in that I, I have no a comparison. Um, and kind of what everyone's kind of told me is, you know, the best marathon, you know, obviously I'm surrounded by um, Shalane and, and Amy and Jerry and you know, people who have a lot of experience. Um and you know, what everyone kinda of told me is, you know, don't don't stress too much about anyone you know, about crushing any workout or anything like that. Just put in good work day after day and um <clears throat> you know, kind of that'll put you in you know position to compete. I mean I think if you look around the country, I think you've got a guy in Dayton who's run two oh seven but uh, I think has reportedly had some injury problems. I, I don't I don't know for sure. Um, and then obviously Meds, you know, 208 guy, um, seemingly ageless. And then it's a lot of, and, and Ryan Paul obviously has the fastest PR, but he's struggled as of late. So, I don't know. I mean, if I were looking at it objectively, if I were a betting person, I would I would bet that 210 is probably good enough to put you in, in strong contention. Um, and I think, you know, I think eventually and that should be something that's that's very achievable for me. I mean, whether it comes off this one time, I have no idea, and
2: um, you know that's why that's why you do the training and show up and and run hard and see what happens.
1: Yeah, the um, well, I think one guy you didn't mention there was was, was uh, Galen Roth. Uh, Robert. I don't know. You were, we were talking about that sort of offline, Robert. do You sort of want to bring up that question because I thought, I thought it was an interesting sort of viewpoint. Um in some ways you guys are very similar. Um, yeah, you know, you're both ten I mean, K guys making or possibly making a debut. Yeah, I, I thought it was strange in the sense of I mean it, I was gonna
0: ask you about, you know, your your group's relationship with, with or your group maybe your individual relationship with Rupp. I mean, at some level it's a little bit strange in the sense of you live in Portland, you're one of the top you know, the world's top ten thousand runners, or at least the country's top ten thousand runners. Galen Rupp is certainly one of the world's top 10,000 runners. You guys basically have the same employee, you know, in terms of Nike, and yet you're sort of viewed as rivals. Um, is, does that strike you as odd? I mean, if it was any other sport, you'd sort of be on the same team and helping each other out. And, you know, you'd both be on the, you know, Portland Trailblazers or something like that, fewer basketball players um, and sort of forced to help each other. So what, what's, What's that, you know, I guess what's the latest on sort of the rivalry between the two groups and and your relationship with uh, Galen?
4: Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's necessarily super weird. I guess the weird thing is that we're both in Portland. Um, I mean, but we compete for different clubs, like, you know, Kevin Durant and LeBron James are both sponsored by Nike. They both compete for the United States and literally play on the same team, pass each other the ball at the Olympics. Um, And I'm sure that they have a very... uh, intense rivalry and there's no, no one, no one would question if they, if one wanted to beat the other, um, obviously, you know, championship or whatever. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, um, Galen is a very quiet person and I, I haven't had too much interaction with him. I think I would describe our interactions as pretty, uh, um, I don't know, polite, not, you know, they don't really talk very much. Um, but my, my take is that he seems like a pretty private and quiet person um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure that I can begrudge anyone that. And do you think okay. you've okay. up doing
0: the trial and do you have any inside info on that?
4: Uh, I mean, I've heard rumors either way. I, 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 really don't know. Um, I mean, if I, if I could blow the story here, if I could, you know, break it on this let's run podcast, I would, but, uh, I don't have, course, I don't have there you I go. Know, so. Um, I've heard people speculate who have some knowledge in either direction. And, uh, yeah, I, I think uh, just another variable. Obviously there's a lot of there's a lot of guys. I mean you know, I you know, I named the three guys with the the best PR is kinda. Of, I think I think I don't know. Hopefully I didn't disrespect anyone. Um but obviously, you know, Luke just ran two ten and then you've got all you know, Bobby Curtis who ran two eleven and you've got a whole host of guys, um, you know, Brian Vale and uh Dick Riley and um, Jared Ward and there's just a whole you know whole bunch of guys who have very solid times just behind that and then Sam Salenga I think um going to run Diego Strada, like you know, a lot, a lot of a lot of people who are going to be debuting. So I think it's a pretty wide open and interesting field. Um, and I think it would be hard to, to, to peg anyone. I think if you were going to bet on anyone making the team, you'd probably bet on Med, just based on consistency over the past however many years. Um, but I think it's uh, it's a pretty wide open and interesting field. And that's you know part of part of the reason why we were motivated to, to try as well. Is just see you know, it could be that it, you know there's Three guys who run two hundred eight, but it could also be that there's only two guys who can break two ten. So we'll, we'll we'll kind of see what happens. And I, I guess one thing we never
1: nailed down with you was how much time
4: do you have to be with us? Oh, uh, I'm, no, I'm free. I'm free as long as you need me. Well, wow, four hour podcast. Here we go. <laughs> um, you know, we haven't even begun discussing
1: ISIS and ah. Donald Trump and Super Bowl and um, many opinions. who knows what. But if you've got time, um, John spoke to Kevin Hansen today, um, and I thought that Kevin sort of had some, you know, he had an interesting way of sort of looking at the trials. Um, so I, let me try to uh, see if I can actually um, play that audio. Here's Kevin talking about sort of how he sees the, the trials uh, stacking up.
5: You're never allowed to count Meb out because um, Meb doesn't know how old he is, I don't think. I mean – I'm joking when I say that, but I mean, I, I, he just, he, he's just still running as well as he did 10 years ago. And I'm so impressed with Meb and he's such a great ambassador for the sport and things that, you know, you can never count him out. Um, I've known Dathan since he was, um, you know, 13 years old. And so, uh, Dathan is somebody that I know how damn tough he is and, and it's scary how tough he is. Um, and then, after those two, my, my, my people that I think in my mind that are going to be is Jared Ward and uh, Tyler Pinnell, those two. Um, they both didn't make the mistake or get caught up in trying to chase a time during the fall, um, which makes them, I think, a little bit more hungry for the segment, a little bit more so. I think both of those guys are people that, that, that I think and um to be honest with you, just with me, I'm I I'm not I'm not even looking at anybody that hasn't quali- qualified that's qualified to a half marathon.
1: So the uh you know, it was the last sentence there. I say the best for last. Um and he sort of <laughs> goes on to talk more specifically about Dathan, but um you know, he he's big on, uh, excuse me, yeah, Galen. He's big on you know, marathon experience, but sort of I thought sort of his Higher level, sort of, you know, everyone says the same thing. Like, how can you discount Meb? It's just it's pretty amazing what that dude's done at at 40 years old. Um, I mean, he's two years younger than me. I, I just can't imagine running like that. Um, but, you know, a guy like Tyler Pennell, he's not on a lot of people's, you know, I would say sort of A-list, but it, it's an interesting sort of, I think, look at it. And I think Kevin comes at it, you know, he, his group really is, has the marathon focus, you know, they have, uh, you know, Bobby Curtis who's run tremendous at 10 K, but sort of, I think they approach the marathon a little bit differently than, than others. Um, I don't know. Did did sort of was his assessment sort of similar to yours? I mean, I thought it was sort of on first glance. Uh,
4: yeah, I mean, I think so. I obviously, he doesn't, um, yeah, you know, I've told, you know, Kevin obviously has all lot of with the marathon and definitely respects his opinion. I think he's he's definitely right in that people who haven't run a marathon are at a big, um, I mean, maybe disadvantage is the wrong word, but, um, certainly at a, at a big deficit. And I think that history has shown marathon debuts to be less spectacular than, uh, expected, um, you know, with the exception of, maybe, you know, Ryan Hall or whoever. Um, and so I think that's totally right. And I, I think, um, you know, that's definitely I don't expect to move to this distance and have it be easy and be the same order as it is on the track um, I think that would be um, extremely naive um, but at the same time I, I think I, kind of as we talked about it, I feel like the risks in terms of trying on aren't, aren't necessarily huge and I would like to try um so you know hopefully uh, you know hopefully things can go can go well for me but um I think you know I think he's definitely someone who's been around the sport and particularly the, uh, you know, marathoning for a long time. I think he has a lot of, um, you know, validity and, and uh, gravitas when it comes to the, uh, when it comes to the pain. And
1: you know, you, earlier, you're the, you're the Stanford econ guy, and you're talking about the opportunity cost. Um, today it came out, the Boston entries and Neely Spence Gracie is going to make her debut at Boston and sort of, you know, the one thing you are giving up by making your debut if you do it, do so at the trials is, you know, a huge appearance fee, um, you know, and there's this sort of idealistic side of the sport and people want to make the Olympics, but at the end of the day, it's also your profession. And, you know, how, how does the financial sort of, I mean, do you view it as a financial hit to not, to to debut at the trials or, you know, did, 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 does that enter into the equation in any, um,
4: any way? Um, I mean, I think that certainly there is a scenario in which that is the case, Um, the scenario being that I totally suck at marathoning, um, and then my only one time to get a good payday from marathoning is my debut, Um, but I'd prefer to be more optimistic than that and think that eventually I will, uh, I mean, even if this goes poorly and no one wants to pay me to run their race, the next time that I can go to a race and run well and earn that money in the future, and, I, you know, I'm very fortunate in that, um, you know, I have a contract and I make enough money to, you know, support myself and, and save for the future. And, um, you know, to bring another economics term into it, there is a, a, a decreasing marginal utility of income. Um, so, you know, past a certain point, if I'm making money and saving money in this sport and getting to do something that I love, I don't know, I think in the long run, that money isn't necessarily super important to me. Um, whereas having the memory of making an Olympic team uh, would be. Hey, Chris,
2: uh, Jonathan here. Um, one thing I talked to uh, Kevin Hanson about earlier today, he was raving about Jake Riley and saying, you know, he was running a lot of his workouts with Bobby Curtis. They were, you know, preparing very well for the trials. You were teammates with Jake at Stanford. I'm wondering, you know, have you talked to him about his marathon prep? Have you picked his brain at all? And I guess do you – you know, off of training with him in college, do you view him as the sort of guy who uh, is going to be a threat at the trials or his best distance is ultimately the marathon?
4: Uh, yeah, I mean, I definitely think Jake's best distance as far has been the marathon. I think with uh, Jake was, is and has always been best at it, is he just can kind of um, put his nose to the grindstone and just have good day after good day, and um, he's always been someone I think Gets the most out of his body on a given day, which is a, um, you know, perhaps underrated, um, and very important aspect of the sport. Um, yeah, I mean, we haven't talked too much specifics. I mean, I told him, um, you know, last summer that I was kind of thinking about going on this path. Um, you know, I mean, just cause I was in his wedding and stuff. I figured I figured it'd be kind of lame to like, you know, <laughs> not, not show up in LA. Yeah. Um, but yes, I mean we t- talked a little bit about it, but I think you know it's. Uh, I think there's there's a risk to having, too, too many uh, mentors in a certain aspect. You're talking to too many people, because um, eventually you know you can't follow everyone's method and everyone's advice. Eventually, you just gotta pick something and go with it. Um, and so, unfortunately for me, you know I'll probably learn what mistakes I've made um, after the experience is over. But uh, there's just a certain amount I think of. You can't know what the right advice is until you've actually tried something. Um, And so, you know, I've tried to just kind of, for the most part, stick with, you know, talking to to Jerry and maybe a couple other people um, just around me and just kind of make sure I'm not getting, you know, too conflicting of advice in terms of how I approach things.
2: Who, Who, apart from Jerry, I guess has been the most important mentor for you in this process? Uh, I mean,
4: mainly Shalane and Amy, just because they're kind of going through the same types of workouts and just both have lots of experience in marathoning. And, um, you know, Amy's trained for the marathon in kind of multiple systems, so I think she's got kind of good insight on uh, what she thinks works and doesn't work. Um, Yeah.
0: And how does that work? Like, do the three of you all go out and be like, okay, we're going to do a long run today, even though obviously you'd be going faster than them? When you kind of team up with them and sort of for a camaraderie aspect or – Or is it kind of
4: separate? Uh, I mean, well, right now we're up and we we just got up into Flagstaff, so uh, yeah, we've been going, I mean, doing going to do workouts together and stuff. Um, Yeah, for the most part, it's kind of on the same workout days. We're there, um, kind of going through similar workouts at different paces.
1: Do you guys have any more marathon questions? I think we can sort of. I think after Chris gets up, I'm going to take all your time, but, you know, we'll, well sort of we I, I turn to – I wanted to ask, you know,
0: when, when on not just about the Olympics in general, sort of, you know, I think before someone said the Olympics or everything, I was wondering, like, w- one of the issues that sort of I know that, you know, my brother used to experience when he was running full time, like he'd be on a plane and he people say, what do you do? And he'd say, I run. And the guy didn't really get it. And then they'd say, oh, have you run a marathon? You know, so they would always ask him if he'd run a marathon, which was kind of annoying when he hadn't run one. But then, you know, their sort of perplexed stares went away when he told them, well, I'm training for the Olympics. And then they got all excited about that and assumed that he was going to make the Olympics. Um, so, like, when you run into strangers, do they understand what professional runner means? Like, do you have that sort of awkward conversation a lot yourself? And has it helped to tell them that you're training for a marathon?
4: Uh, yeah, I do, I do have that awkward conversation a lot, mainly because, you know, I'm doing things that, you know, like noon that people who have normal jobs shouldn't be doing, you know, like, I don't know, going to get my haircut or like just, you know, whatever, doing running errands in Portland. Um, so I think there's also an implicit, like, you're a, you're a prime age working male. Why are you not employed right now? (laughs) Um, and yeah, I think there's definitely. I always joke that there's there's three things that you can do in that conversation to earn someone's respect, and that's make deals with the a team, run a marathon, and run sub four. So, I've only got one of the three. If I could, uh, if I could complete the trifecta in one day, I think that would make those conversations a lot easier. Um, but yeah, it's especially like I was fourth the trials, but like I've made a world championship team, so I like, try to explain that is that it's not even worth it. Just they, they, a lot of times people just say like, "Like the Olympics," and I was like, "Yeah, sort of that kind of." <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I generally don't try to spend too much time trying to impress people with with that because they don't really care. You could just tell me you work for Nike. Or... Yeah, yeah. Especially yeah. Well, then that's also weird when it's like you're talking to a Nike employee and then they're like, "Oh, you work at Nike," and
3: it's like, "Well, kind of."
4: Um, I, mean, I guess in Portland, but everybody works
1: in Nike, so it's
3: yeah.
1: Yep. Oh, what do you do? You design the shoes? No, I run. What? Yeah, and Portland, after... want
2: to know if they, if you run like Hood to Coast. That's the big one. If uh, I, I, think... that, I guess
4: besides the, the marathon, Hood to Coast is the oh. So you do like Hood to Coast? Like I'm ah, not
1: going. Nike, Nike used to, you know, put a pretty competitive team in that thing. I think for the uh you know, just to sort of create some interest in the sport and, and bring in the, the casual person. I, we want to see a Jerry versus Alberto group at Hood to Coast, you know. Um, no, I, I'm, think kind of, that, I'm totally in. I think, I think that's what the sport needs. I don't, I don't know if either group has enough people to actually have, form a full team, but, you know, that'll be make it even more interesting. Like, you know, if one guy just wants
4: to run like five legs in a row. That's great. Go for it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm not sure it's what, if it's what the sport needs, but I would definitely be down.
1: Um, and that, that, you know, we, we can re- return quickly to the marathon. But my thing with relays is I've been to World Relays the last two years. If anyone's listening, buy your tickets now for next year. It's like it's one of the best track meets in the world. It's my favorite track meet in, in the world. I mean, worlds are worlds and it's great. But World Relays, like the fans are really into it. It's very simple to watch because there's one event going on at a time. You don't your attention isn't distracted. Um, and there's this whole sort of national element that's very simple and people get. But one thing I think they should do is sort of get rid of exchange zones. Well, I don't care if somebody wants to run at 100, if Bolt wants to run 130 yards and the next guy wants to run at 70 or uh, on a 4x4, four four, if somebody if they want to really try to go 450, go ahead, you know? Um, but I think sort of it, it just shows there's a lot of things in the sport sort of we take for granted, but they don't necessarily... Uh, have to be that way. Um, and so maybe now if we segue off a little bit off sort of the marathon trials, John and Robert, if you guys have any more questions, you, you can bring them back, but sort of a big thing coming out tomorrow is this WADA report, which, you know, um, all indications are th- this report's going to focus on corruption you know, uh, at the head of the IWF level, head of the IWF anti-doping. Um, there's speculation also that um, within Kenyan Athletics will will be in this report as well. Um, Chris, how closely do you follow the the anti-doping, corruption side of things?
4: Um, I, I will admit that I'm not quite as up on this particular cycle um, as I have been in the past. I think part of the reason is that it's just, you know, it's just pretty depressing. Um, I think as an athlete, I think as an athlete you sort of when there's accusations that certain people are doping, those are oftentimes in accord with rumors that circulate, you know, travel the circuit. Um, and then there's sort of, and, and so in some sense while it's, it's sad that that comes to fruition, there's also a sense that, okay, the system is working, you know, if someone gets caught, like that, that's bad that they were on drugs, but it's good that they are now banned. Um, but this sort of just seems to be all bad. Um, and in particularly in, in regards to, you know, uh, Co's reactions to it. Um, I don't know. I mean, I've heard, I think it was Tim Hutchings, who obviously ran in the UK around that same time, so probably knows him and sympathizes with him. But I've you know, heard him say, like, oh, you know, maybe he's playing the long game or whatever. But, I mean, to me that seems pretty, pretty blatantly uh, – I, 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 it seems either preposterous or he's just preposterously bad at playing the long game because I think that, if there was a time to use the attention and energy, you know, if, if you've been wait, if you've been in the IAAF waiting for the right moment to clean things up, you know, now is the right moment. Now is the time where you can come out and say, "Yes, we need to burn this down." Um, and so it sort of seems to me that we just sort of, you know, meet the new boss, same as the old boss, kind of thing. Um, and I'm not, and I, I hate to be horribly cynical about it, but I guess. I'm not terribly surprised that, you know, with, you know, him and Boca, you know, guys who were stars in the 80s and 90s before testing was really anything, that they seemed so ambivalent about drug use. But that's, I don't know, it's pretty, it's just pretty sad, I guess, in general. Um, I, before, you know, I was, I'm I'm at least optimistic about the people with who I associate and with American distance running in general, which is kind of, you know, the the people that I see and train with and compete with most of the time. and then there was, you know, always kind of the knowledge that the testers are probably behind the cheaters for the most part, but at least we're trying. Um, but now it appears that maybe we weren't even trying,
3: um, which is just—I don't know—it's just disheartening. Yeah, I think you. Said it well. It's sort of—it is disheartening. And
1: I don't know, me personally, at least in the past, people would say, "Oh, they're all dirty," and I'm like, "No, I, you know, I know some athletes. I think they're clean." And that sort of thing. And they're like, well, they cover up the test. And it's just like, it's too complicated. You can't cover up all the tests. And I, I can't believe I was sort of naive to think that. And I think Co, if he was on this call, would say, oh, look, we caught them. I'm like, maybe eventually, but you were trying to cover him up. And not him, but sort of the head of the organization, his old previous role. And just if anyone, I don't see how you get to that level of authority and think that sort of it just... It just shows if if they're doing that for drug tests what else were they, you know, using for personal gain. Um I'm you know, very sort of personally depressed. But I, I try not to sort of, you know, get totally down on the sport, but tomorrow's gonna be a very big day, I think, sort of just hopefully I don't know, we gain some insight and hopefully I hope somehow there's gonna be something yeah good to come out of it. Um but uh, I I Kind of, it is sort of a dark period of the sport. Um, the, I guess the good thing is testing is way better than it's ever been. I mean, like you said, with Ko and Bubka, they didn't really test back then, or it was. Um, you know, I've heard rumors of a there was Olympic trials, and they brought everyone to a room and they said, "All right, if you're in this room, um, you know, you got you got three months to clean it up. Uh, you know, the Olympics, we're not going to let this go. So we're we're I think we're a long way from that stage, but maybe we're not. Uh, Robert, John, you guys have any thoughts?
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, one thing I was going to ask, Chris, I mean, I'm not going to ask you to, you know, fix the sport entirely because uh, I don't know if anyone's capable of that right now, but but is there a change or two that you would like to see implemented in the sport um, that you think would make it better?
4: Um, yeah, I mean, I think, well, I guess the one optimistic Positive thing you could say is that you know people tend to respond, systems tend to respond to crisis. I think if you look at politics and stuff like that, because generally it's the crisis that becomes the wedge that causes the change. Um, but I guess the question then sort of is who has the authority to make that change, and what sort of system can you put in place to affect that? I mean, I, the bait and the you know there's such a huge winnowing process in terms of getting on the IAAF. Council and all that stuff, and that power just sort of seems to pass from, you know, in a very nep nepotistic. Is that a word? I do um, Whatever. And there seems to be a lot of nepotism in terms of how that power passes from generation to generation, which I think makes it hard to change. To change that, you know, to, to have broad sweeping change, it's not as though you can just. Elect some guy who's never been in a federation, um, you know, to, to head the IWAf, which I think is kind of a problem. Um, and I think you're also just you're just running into the problem too of where the you know bureaucracies eventually tend to exist to perpetuate themselves. And I think if you look at those emails, like the most charitable way you can interpret them is to say that okay, is to say that these guys who are just really worried about the image of the IAAF and the sport, but they're kind of missing the forest for the trees. They're kind of, you know, they don't want to have to deal with a crisis, so they're pushing things aside. Um, and I think that that's sort of, I I, it's, I mean, the one thing you, you could see would just be handing more more and more power over to WADA, um, since seemingly they seem to care, um, which is kind of the first step to making a change. I mean, I it, it, there, uh, people do still test positive and get banned, which is good. Um, I mean, this isn't necessarily like the NBA where no one gets caught doing anything, um, which is, I mean, having some people get caught at least shows that something is working. Um, and obviously, you know, I still believe that most athletes don't want to cheat, and you can still make a moral choice even in an immoral system um, or in an ambivalent system, um, you know, if you're surrounded by the right people. Um, you know, I I still don't uh, subscribe to the everyone's feeding kind of thing, but it certainly does make me – um, yeah, it certainly is, I guess, yeah, disheartening the level of, you know, com- you know complicity and apathy at the top. I guess
0: – I think everyone's – I mean, I haven't – it's weird. I'm a little bit like you, Chris, in the sense that I haven't followed – I don't know all the details of this most recent scandal as I should, but it hasn't depressed me. Maybe I'm just so used to it in the sense of, I mean, they are they are busting people. I mean, look, the Olympic, Olympic women's 1,500-meter champ was busted. And I mean, I guess, I mean, even look at Shovakova. I mean, she was paying hundreds of thousands of dollars in bribes, and they ultimately, she still tested positive. So they actually offered her her money back, or some of it back, because they said, you're going to test positive. So... I think at some level, even... That's very critical, so right? Yeah, right?
1: So, the definition of ethics, I think, right there. I
0: mean,
1: who knows?
0: But um, I will recommend to people who are listening that they follow Chris Derrick on Twitter. I'm not a big Twitter fan, but I, I do like your Twitter account, Chris. And I think it was a couple of months ago. It is one of the key aspects of my childhood, and apparently I'm not the only person who's felt this way. The ticking clock in 60 Minutes, <laughs> that used to depress me more than anything in the history of the world. So, for those of you who don't watch 60 Minutes, it's on Sunday afternoon after the football is over. It's a show in America, and there's a ticking clock. And I always thought, shit, i got to go to school tomorrow. Apparently, you even thought that in college. I mean, that's that's.
4: it was more like yeah. a
0: junior high thing for me that really depressed me, but it still brings back bad memories.
2: To, to the day, whenever I hear that
4: clock, I wonder if I've done my math homework.
2: Yeah. Like so what is t- who's, I'm only a year younger than Chris, and uh, I have the same exact memories growing up watching football the late game. So uh, I consip- empathize with that as well.
0: Chris, are oh, you, you a football fan? You're tweeting out about the Jets this weekend. Or do, you, or you, do you have an NFL team? I mean, you're, you're an Illinois guy, so uh,
4: yeah. yeah. You're, so I, I was actually I was born in New York. That's where my family's from. So I am a Jets fan. Um, in the in the, I guess Probably about that note. Yeah, in the, in the in the lineage of my father and my mother, um, which is a sad, sad thing. Uh, my parents have done a lot of great things for me, many, many great things. Shout out to my mom. Love you, mom. Oh, Dad, I hope you're feeling better. Um, but one of the things that, that was not so great that they did for me is they made me a Jets fan. So, um, a a heartbreaking, very Jets loss uh, a couple weeks ago. It yeah, a, it's, it's a good. It's a
1: typical way for the Jets to sort of. Uh, you know, snap defeat from victory right at the end of the season. Right? <laughs> yeah, That's you, like well, you, be, you beat
0: the Patriots, right, and then lose to the, to the Bills.
4: Yep. It's only when you're at your moment, moment of greatest despair that they will have any success, and then once you have any hope, they like to just crush that. But which would I you mean, rather
0: – if you were forced to miss the Olympic team, would you rather finish 10th or 4th at the trials?
4: Uh, 4th. Year. You always want to do better than worse.
0: Oh, well, that's good. Then you should appreciate the Jets had a pretty good season. They they had a big, big improvement. You know, this was their well, 2012, sure. and and now you know next year can be their 2016 for you. <laughs>
4: well, I please don't please don't tie my athletic career to the fate of the Jets because that's going to
2: doom <laughs> for, for life. life. Uh. Do you uh? Do one you have of Super the- Bowl pick, Chris. Sorry? Do you have a Super Bowl pick? Uh, I don't. I would bet
4: probably on the NFC. The winner of the NFC at this point, winning over the AFC. But I don't know. I think uh, I would probably, I would, I would think Panthers or Cardinals would be my would be my bet. But I don't know. I think football. There's a high level of parity. You, you're dealing with one game. There's a lot of randomness. So anything could happen that's my up. yeah
1: and yeah sort of you know we're talking about non-running subjects but when i was running full-time i joked i only could run about two hours a day sort of you know what do you do to fill the time what are some of your other interests outside of running
4: um yeah i mean uh, uh, on a good day um or, or what i would consider a productive day i spend time, time you know reading or you know Playing guitar, cooking, doing something useful, productive, some sort of skill-building activity. And on a non-productive day, I'm probably just mindlessly flipping through Twitter, um, which I think is sort of the I don't know. It, it's a great irony to me if you, especially you look a lot on like runner social media. There's a lot of like stuff about the grind and dedication and blah blah blah. And it's like most people are at 1 p.m. on a Wednesday are either taking a nap or watching Netflix or you know, reading reading Twitter. Um, So it's a, I guess it's, I guess you require a certain level of discipline, but also it's pretty much just a part-time job, which is, which is pretty sweet. have Have you
0: thought of a post running career for yourself? Would you like to stay involved in the sport as a coach? You seem like a smart guy or actually I have your SAT scores in front of me. I was, we were looking for your phone number earlier. I found the, email you sent me in May of 2007 when I was coaching at Cornell, so.
4: <laughs> How you? Did I do? Did I do well? Uh,
0: yes. Very, very good. Can I, can I, can I, can I violate your, uh, what's it called, the Clery Act or whatever it's called? You had a sure very high GPA. Ranked third in the class out of 1,016, general people. This kid is quite smart. And the best part <laughs> of the email was, P.S., let's run is awesome.
4: So, I just, I, uh, yeah, I was a big fan of Let's Run. We, uh, of I, I will that was, admit that I, I don't read was a Let's Let's big run. fan as much anymore. <laughs> well, I like I, I still read the front page, but I've, i stopped uh, I stopped reading the message boards when people I knew started getting talked about it. Just it made me too angry. I couldn't I wasn't rational enough to deal with it, so I had to stop. But
0: we have a we have a new filter, and they're only allowed to say positive things about Chris Derrick. So it's <laughs> Chris Derrick is
4: awesome. <laughs> No, see, but you also have to say bad things about people that I hate. So that's it's it's gonna be too tough. Uh, well, you go to talk to the hate yeah. <laughs> uh, <that's
1: what's>
0: <laughs>
4: yeah, I mean, it's, a, it's kind yeah, of like you're talking that's about that's the right. Jets, right? With
1: it's the lightness without without darkness. So you know, if yeah. only positive things were said, you know, then people would say, "Hey, this isn't positive enough."
4: Yeah, that's I mean, right. I, I think uh, I, I think people might construe construe that kind of as being anti-message board or fan or whatever. Um I certainly don't mean it that way. I think, you know, I I talk about football or whatever all the time, and I spout my opinions, and I'm sure they have very little basis. You know, I, I don't have a lot of, like, concrete knowledge to go off of, and that's kind of the nature of things, right? You're speculating about people you don't know. And um, I sort of realized that, like, I, you know, I, I don't know, once or twice I read something, like, negative about myself, and I was like, hey, that's, like this guy doesn't know me. Like, that's garbage. Um, and then I sort of realized that people who said nice things about me also didn't know me, so what was the validity of that um, as well? So I think it's just kind of I, – I just don't think it's a productive thing to – at least I'm not mature enough to, like, hear the opinions of people who don't know me and, like, just start to decide, so I just try to avoid them generally.
1: I think that's a, a good way of doing it. I don't think Bill Bilichek's, you know, reading pro football talk forums – yeah, caring too much what people are saying about him. But, um, well, I think, Chris, we really appreciate you for your time. Um, it was great for you joining us, you know, and uh, we'd love to see you at the trials. The Olympic marathon trials are sort of the genesis of let's Like, I quit my job for four months to train for them and had time on my hands and sort of kind of like, what am I going to do in the moments I was being productive? Thankfully, there wasn't Twitter or Facebook. then. I'm like, hey, I'm going to start a sort of website and sort of let's run came about from that so it's sort of uh, for me it's my favorite event but uh you know hopefully we'll see you on the starting line there um i think we're going to use the rest of the show to sort of talk about the women's side of things but i guess you can give us your predictions for the women right you can predict all the women in your training group
4: uh yeah well obviously and Amy will make it no problem they're great and uh you know who cares about anybody else right
0: i i do think chris you have one before you go i think you've got it all wrong i i I, as someone who ended up not being good at the marathon i think the the being your debut marathon if it ends up being your debut is a good thing you're naive about it you're not beaten down by it you know some people you said a lot of people don't have a good marathon debut but then then their second marathon is going to be even worse because they're going to fear it so you know, it's a it's a tactical race. All you got to do is run with the pack, and then you know try to do it over the last ten k. So, yeah, I, I'm
4: I'm too I'm too dumb to know any better. I, I think that's a good I think that's a good way to put it, and I think that's a good way to to end my
1: session.
4: Yeah, yeah. All and right, you know, and instead
0: of,
1: of making your marathon announcement on Twitter, we'll have another podcast with you. It'll be pay per pay per listener. We will give you like eighty percent of the proceeds. You'll announce it live on the podcast. Then, <laughs> I mean, okay. You just have you
0: know. a 1-900 number.
1: Yeah, 1-900 number. Actually, let's go. Yeah, that's what we'll do. You 1-900 number. Which,
0: I was reading the NCAA manual. Did you guys know that it's illegal for a high school recruit? Apparently, this is in the NCAA manual. Uh, high school basketball players were setting up phone numbers that were 1-900 numbers so that when coaches called them, they were having to spend like 2 or $3 a minute to speak to them, and then they were taking the profits. It's a genius oh. plan, actually. Wow. You wow. limit the calls. Yeah, yeah that's great. Yeah. Next time we'll have a one nine hundred Chris Derrick number. <laughs>
4: yeah, well, well, I I think we can afford to give that that information to the people for free. I don't know. I don't know what you, what you guys feel.
1: Opportunity cost, cost. cost, Chris. You gotta you gotta think about that. You gotta think about your future.
4: <laughs> I, I'm not worried about it. It'll all work
1: out. Yeah. Stanford hubris, right there. Um, you know. with, no, and I'll say no, seriousness, we really appreciate you joining <laughs> us and. Best of luck at the trials if you run them. Um if not, you'll probably be there anyway, right?
3: Uh, yeah, your teammate? So.
4: yeah. Um thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. And uh yeah, don't let don't let anybody say anything bad about me on my thread. All
1: right, go. Yeah, filters are in place. All right. See you
4: guys.
1: Appreciate it. Thank you. We we need to uh one of my resolutions for two thousand sixteen is to do these podcasts more regularly, maybe even once a week. Um but so right now, the round of applause uh, sound feature that we don't yet have would be going off to thank Chris for his time today. But um, so I thought that was, you know, very insightful. Robert, John, where do you think we should turn? Should we turn quickly to sort of well, talking think, to the women's trials, or do you want to discuss Kevin's comments about sort of uh, debut marathoners and Galen Rupp? We have some of that audio well, as well.
2: Yeah, I think we should... I think that's probably um, let's let's go there quickly because I do think that the most interesting thing I got out of the conversation was his thoughts on Galen Rupp. Uh, you know, he said that he wasn't really counting anyone who uh, qualified through a half marathon as a threat to make the team. But you know, obviously, if Galen Rupp decides to run, he's only qualified through a half. It was you know not your typical half. He ran 61.20 basically solo uh, against you know a bunch bunch of back to the Packers in this low-key race in Portland, which, you know, not all half marathons are created equal. So I, I did want to ask him about that. And Weldon, I don't know if you can cue up the audio on that, but I thought his response on Ruck was probably the most interesting thing he said, so uh, it'd be good to hear about that.
1: Okay, we got two segments. I think this is the first one. Um, only way to find out, we'll hit line one here.
5: I think. It, I think I think that it would be, I think, that, that people may be surprised. Um, I, would, I would ask this. Um, my, my, my questions are simple. Um, I don't think anybody sees them. People thought that Mo Faro was going to run 206 and 205. Um, and uh, that didn't happen um, in his debut on a London course um, with rabbits that were hired specifically for him to take him through um, whatever pace he wanted. And um, I don't think that Galen's as good as Mo And so anybody that would be predicting anything faster than Mo I think would be un- totally unrealistic with him in a situation that doesn't have any rabbits, doesn't have any, and is a race situation.
1: Um, yes. That was the first part. You know, he focuses a lot on sort of the rabbit situation, which, you know, it just shows the sort of, he's a very experienced coach. He's had great success. With, you know, Desi and Brian Fell making the Olympic team. Um, and a, you know, a rabbited marathon race is, is definitely, um, you know, different than a non rabbited one. Uh, and, and there's a uh, part two here, sort of, where it just continues on after, John, after you followed up with him. Here's that.
5: Go back and look through the best debuts by an American in a non paced race and try to figure out what that is. And I, I know that there were Pacers for Halls 208. I know there were Pacers for Culpepper's 209. I know there were Pacers for um, uh, the 210 for Brett Gotcher. Um, so you start going through and you're going to say that everybody thinks that somehow without Pacers for him, he's going to be six minutes better or something than every other American that's ever took place in the event. And I don't see it that way.
1: Uh-huh. Hello. Kevin Hansen.
0: So the Hansen Robert Brooks recent. distance project.
1: Yeah. I mean, John
0: told me about that call earlier today when I was talking to John, for those of you just joining the podcast, Jonathan Galt interviewed both Desi Linden of Hanson's Brooks program and, and Kevin Hanson. And we just showed you the clip from Kevin, but I totally disagree with that. I mean, uh, to me, Rob is a lock for the team and, and, and one name at, at first, as I was listening to that, I was like, okay, what, you know, debut marathon, and then somebody hit me. Is it hitting you guys? It's an obvious name, a big name, incredibly successful in his marathon debut, and very much associated with Rupp. Who am I talking about? Somebody help me out here. Alberto? Alberto Salazar ran 209.41, according to Wikipedia, at the time the fastest American debut, you know. So he ran two o nine. In New York, which is hilly, I assume they didn't have rabbits. Thirty-six years ago, Ruff is way better than Salazar ever was. Um, to me, Ruff's a lock for the team if he shows up in this trials. I, I mean, I guess there's a chance. Maybe may, you know. I mean, with Farah, my thought was the guys run 3:28 for 1500. Maybe he's not made for the marathon. I guess Ruff has run a what a 350 indoor mile or something ridiculous like that. But to me, I still think of Rob as the kid that couldn't kick in high school. So I always thought he was going to be good at the marathon. I don't know how he's gotten that speed, but uh, you know, it, it's, it's an interesting thing, though, to think. You know, I mean, I think as we talk about the team, do only big names make it? Super, super talents, or is there some sort of long shot guy? But to me, I think if Rob's on the start line, I'm putting him down number one as my most biggest lock, even though he hasn't wow. won it. What about what about you guys, John?
2: I. I mean, I don't know if I – I don't feel as strongly about it as you do, but I, I I would have to pick him for the team. I would say, you know, if if everyone who's hinted at it or, you know, every, everyone does it who we think is going to do it. Um, so basically I'm saying, like, if Derek does it, if Ruff does it, and if everyone who's hinted does it, I would pick Ruff on my team. I don't know. I mean, I, I guess you could I, – I don't feel comfortable putting him at number one, but, again, it's like, you know – man's going to be, on, you know, he's 40 years old. And Brits, you know, he, he, there was recently an article came out yesterday on MLive.com. Looks like, you know, he, he seems like he's in pretty good shape and that injury, that he had some hip side, dish, but he's mostly over that. So I, I think those guys, you know, uh, but they're, they're going to be on the team, I think, if they run well. But Ruff, I don't know if I can really say he has stronger or Less chances than them. It's just there's so much unknown. But he's just I don't know an Olympic silver medalist at 10,000, 61.20, and he didn't look like he was even trying. I I can't imagine that if he runs the trials that he wouldn't be on the team.
1: Yeah, I think he'd make it as well. I mean, anything can happen. It's almost one of those things. I think he's probably you know maybe be first, where he just you know he's not in the top three. Sort of one of those. Right. And, um, and personally, cool.
0: I think well, I mean, I, I think Hanson's made some good points but to me when you look back at the fair race to me the fact that it was london and he had his own set of rabbits i mean to me that was harder it would he would have been much better off if he'd been in a race with no rabbits he's a very competitive guy running with the pack and they try to outkick him but there he's like well i'm not ready to run 204 whatever they went out on that year so he tried to run something you know alberto's a very scientific guy he tried to not run something way over his head and then he was sort of running a no-man's land whereas at the trials you know, I rough just can run with the pack. If they go out in sixty six, that's gonna feel like a jog for a guy who just ran a sixty one and wearing a long sleeve T shirt. So Yeah, I mean you know, I mean that, I do think there's
2: that, the psychology of it
0: all. He's got more time to think about things, you know, maybe you know, something goes wrong and they can get in your head and or I do think sometimes a marathon's never gonna feel easy. So I do think the first timer's gonna you know, like, oh, how should I be feeling? I don't feel great, well, so what? Maybe the person next to you doesn't feel great, so maybe you don't realize, you know, there's definitely some negatives there.
2: Um,
0: And and I kind of hope that we don't just have three super talents on the team. I'd like to see, you know, everybody wants to see one long shot make it, but, you know, I I went back today and looked at the last, you know, three Olympic trials. You know, look at them inside. Tleski, Hall, and Abdi made it in 2012. Rich was fourth. 2008, As someone said to me, wrote me the other day in Let's Run an email. Yeah, Cell was the long shot. So, you know, Hanson Brooks guy, he made the Olympics that really made the program at the time. That was a great story. And he did. It was Ryan Hall first, Rich second, Cell third, who beat former world record holder Khalid Kanuchi. He was fourth. So that was a fantastic showing for Cell. But someone emailed me this week and is like, look, Cell's not even a rags to riches story if Meb wasn't hurt that year, because Meb probably would have made that team. And then 2004, you got Culpepper, Kifleski, and Brown, three of the bigger names there, also made it. So, you know, it's it's kind of been you, – you sort of almost have to be at, at a certain talent level. Um, and I, I I just think that the Tyler Panels of the world are going to have a tough time. Um, you know, I would like to see some rags-to-riches guy make it, but sort of – I mean, nowadays, you know, mm-hmm. it's like – a long shot is somebody who's, you know, people are talking about Diego Estrada on the message board as a long shot. I'm like, he's not a long shot. He ran a 61-minute half marathon. He's a 27:30
1: guy. <laughs> he's quite right. fast. That, but even that shows how good that run by Rupp was. I mean, at the Portland holiday half, I've never seen a guy run a 61-20 or 61-whatever it was with just – long sleeve shirts, you know, Derek ran that, I think it was the same weekend or weekend before, I mean, no, a couple weekends before maybe, or I'm confusing the dates anyway, but you know, Derek ran 63-something, I'm just kind of assuming a similar type effort. Chris Derek's a phenomenal runner, you know, he's not even in the long shot category, you got to put him, give him a decent shot if he runs the trials, and you know, he's top 10 world cross guy, so um, that type of talent, so... It'll it'll be interesting uh, for sure, but you know, kind of as you said, usually the the top guys are the ones who who, who make the team, um, and then you got guys like Abdi who's trying to make a fifth Olympic team, and there's one guy we haven't even really mentioned, and that's uh, Ryan Hall, which is crazy. Um, and uh, let me play some audio. So Ryan ran at the Dallas uh, half marathon here. In December, I was in Fort Worth, about 40 minutes away, and they had the greatest um, conglomerate of American talent ever. They shared one starting line. They had two (laughs) relay races, and they had, like, you know, Matt Centrelitz, Leo Lanzano, Ryan Hall, uh, Abdi was on the starting line,
3: uh,
1: Molly Huddle, Dina, all in one starting line, Robbie Andrews. I'm sure I'm forgetting some people. Um, But it was sort of a great chance to sort of, Talk to people, and Ryan didn't even run the half marathon. He ran the Texas relay, Dav- Dallas Mavericks relay, with the shorter guys, the short mid-distance guys, the centros and the halls, I miss mean, centros and Leo, and they finished ahead of him. And Ryan, you know, said like, "Oh, okay, I didn't even bring racing shoes." Uh, but then I asked him about, you know, essentially said, "Well, are you doing the Olympic trials?" Because that time it was a little over two months out, and uh, here's what he said
3: the Olympic trials are you still shooting for that I mean yeah yeah still on schedule um still training so yeah just doing that and then um, also helping Sarah which has been really fun and excited about her fitness well she's in like amazing shape right now
1: so, so that's the first part you know just sort of Olympic trials and he's, I mean Ryan's a laid-back guy but almost the first thing he's out of his mouth saying yeah yeah I'm doing it but then he sort of talks about how he's you know helping his wife train for it and she's doing the trials as well and
3: I think she's, you
1: know, more likely to finish higher than he is. And then he
3: continues on. It's been fun to. I've been on the bike for some of her workouts, kind of coaching her through it. do really... you think you'll be ready to compete, or do you think? Yeah, I mean, I'm gonna. I'm training as best I can and give it a good, good run.
1: So. And you've had sort of, I don't know, medical problems
3: or yeah. testosterone stuff, like. Yeah. You know, when was your last good race? Probably been a couple of years. It's been a while. It's been a while since I really hit it. Hit it well. Yeah, so yeah, I've definitely had my struggles the last four years, but that's um, you know, part of life. And I remember before the last Olympic trials, I also was struggling. So you never know, you know. As a runner, like you go through, everyone who's run a long period of time can relate to the ups and downs of it, you know. So just uh, you ride out those low times and just keep trying new things, keep figuring out what your body needs and how it's going to respond to certain trainings, certain nutrition, all that stuff. So I've been doing my best to like, remedy as much as I can. And, uh, get myself doing good again. So that's
1: Ryan Hall in his own words. Um, I think you know one. You know when he said, "Oh, it's been a while since his last good race." We'd we need to look that one up. Um, it's been at least a couple of years. Um, but I'm curious what your guys are. I think we should turn to the woman here quickly. But sort of what your you know predictions are for Ryan. I'll get it started. I don't think he runs the trials.
2: I th- Got I think that he is uh it's a repeat of what he
0: did in the L A marathon in last March and he's <laughs> yeah I mean I've, I've been the biggest Ryan Paul fan there is I mean to me the people that say his career has not been good are ridiculous I mean this guy look at his marathons it's absurd how many good marathons he's had he basically had. You know, and I forgot I had this stat. It was like a quarter of the sub-210s in U.S. history or something. I mean, it was quite good, a 204, 208, 209, 206, 208. Um, you know, he's got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. He's got eight times under 210. Um, I, I don't think he makes a team of John, but actually John's comment about the March La race. I mean, he went out with the leaders. I, that would thrill me just to see him up there. Give me, make it inter, in, interesting, entertaining. You know, he, I don't think he's going to go out and go out in 5:20 pace and try to run 2:18 and finish 20th. So I, I just hope. Uh, I, I, I totally written him off. Finally, I was refusing to give up, and then finally just fall, I just said he's not going to make the team. I mean, everybody said I was stupid. So, but you know, even if he's up there for five miles, that'll be enough for the thrill for me. Um, yeah, but,
1: t- yeah. I want I, I, see- him up there too, kind of like what you said. I mean, he, I think his marathoning career has been phenomenal, despite doing nothing the last two or three years um, or since the last Olympic trials. But I mean, and I do. I'd see- love to see him up there. The trials is about the drama and the hope and the wish, and that's sort of All while we start this sport. So I'd love to see him, I mean- you know, give it a chance. And he's just such a sort of. He's struggling, and he can't figure it out. And, and talking to him further, uh, that video is up on YouTube. If you go to the Let'sRun.com account, um, you know, he, he was just saying, like, how, I was like, well, you compare yourself to your old workouts. And he essentially said, like, I just now go out and run on the trails, like, and d- dust stuff on there where it's untimed, timed, and he can't compare himself. He's just trying to find it that way. He doesn't know what his medical issues are. Um, and he's got well, other I, pri- priorities in life. Him and his wife, I mean, it's amazing. They adopted – an entire Ethiopian family, and sort of, you know, they, they have a family of their own now and brought these kids who didn't really speak English over here. And, you know, they're from uh, the oldest ones are teenagers. So it, it's sort of, fortunately, Ryan's got other things going on that are more important in his life. And so I think it sort yeah. of can help sort of, you know, ease him out of the sport. But I, I would love to see him not go out of the competitive side of the sport. I'd love to see him make the team. I just don't think it's feasible. Yeah, I mean, uh, you made some good points there, Weldon, about the
0: family. I mean, there was an interesting thread in the Let's Run the other day, but remember when was had a negative connotation. Now it's like, remember, you know, nowadays if you say you're religious, it has a negative connotation. To me, that's a joke. I mean, this guy has been, he and Sarah have both been great for American distance running. Hall has had an incredible career and he's done, he's done a great thing for this family. He's a religious guy. I, I think that he should be, praise for both his on and off the track activities and and the amount of criticism he gets actually bothers me. So, I mean, American society, you know, we're, we're, we're praising the Kardashians of the world who are having out of wedlock children and (laughs) society's backwards. But when I look at his career, I mean, it somewhat reminds me of Salazar. I just think his, he trained so hard. He ran so hard. His like system is shot his endocrine system, you know, and that's just the way (laughs) it goes. You train that hard, you, you only have a few good years. Um, you know, I, I think Alberto has now found sort of a chemical way around that so that people can have longer careers or not have the downsides of, of, of training. I'm not, I'm not saying in a legal way, perhaps it's, you know, you know, the, the, you know, there's a scientific way, I guess, to try to avoid that. But, um, you know, it's not unusual. People act like, Oh, he's a head case. I'm like, no, look at that. He's had eight, nine good races. Um, and, you know, you never know if you catch magic in a bottle. I mean, I think it's hard to fake it in a marathon, but, you know, I, I do tell people, and Weldon in 2003, we dropped Weldon was running the 10,000 of the U.S. trials. His training had been going horribly. He had run the B heat at Stanford in the 10,000. We dropped Weldon to warm off. To, 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 to We we'll dropped him off to warm up. And I turned to our friend, Iron Mike, if you're listening, I haven't seen you in 10 years. But, um, you know, and... We, we turned to him, and he said, how do you think he's going to do? And I said, I don't even know why we're here. And it ended up being one of the better races in the world of Weldon's life, and he got fourth in the country. So, you know, <laughs> uh, who knows? That's why they run the race, you know. We can't put it all down on paper just quite yet. Um, a lot of people, John, is Tim Ritchie still a in Massachusetts? A lot of people in the chat box have been have been talking about him. He ran a fast half, I know. How fast was it? Um, have you heard any, any rumors about his
1: training?
2: Uh, yeah, so it's interesting. I live in Brighton, Massachusetts, and Tim Ritchie, like, I I don't know specifically where he lives in Brighton, but I know he lives here. And uh, I was thinking of doing a story on him when I was home over Christmas break, and then I saw the Boston Globe and actually like the next day published this feature on him Um, which was a pretty good read. And, yeah, he ran, you know, I think it was 61.37, I want to say, for the half marathon. I'll try and confirm that at the Philly half marathon. But, you know, it was a great solo run, uh, a lot faster than what I think anyone expected out of him. But, you know, stepping up to the marathon, I think it could be more difficult for him. It was 61.23, in fact. Uh, for the half marathon, which, you know, incredible time, obviously. But Max is out at about 70, 75 miles a week. Um, all, his, all his training's done at about 530 to 540 pace. Um, I think those are his easy days, and then obviously his workouts are faster. I just, you know, I, I think he's a talented guy, and I think that that approach can work for the half marathon. But I just don't see... I think you have to be outrageously talented to um, make the marathon team off of 75 miles a week. And uh, I don't think that, you know, I'm talking like, you know, Mo Farah's yeah. kind of level to uh, well, do that on that kind of mileage. So I, I don't think he's making the team, but he's an interesting name.
0: That's a great point. I mean, if you look at his, you know, he's got a 214.50 marathon PR. He ran that in 2013. Now he did that when his half PR was 62:29, so he already had a pretty good half PR. So you take a minute off his half, you know. Well, let's multiply that by two and take two minutes off his marathon, you know. So then he runs 2:12:50, maybe a little better, 2:12:30. That's probably not going to make it. So, yeah, I mean, I think I actually I think after I got the email about him, I I googled and saw the 70 miles a week, and I just I just thought this can't be right, but. Apparently it is true. I, I would tell him, Tim, it's obviously done great to get that half, but slow down and run more if you're trying to run the marathon because you, you need to try to hit triple digits if you can. Um, but, John, um, well, well, do you have anything else to say about that?
1: No, yeah, I think we should turn to the women. We could do predictions, so but we're going to have definitely have another marathon trials preview show before. Trials get here, so I think it might be a little early for that. But we haven't really, really talked to the, about the women yet. And John, well, before to... we talk
0: about the women, let's let's talk a little bit more. John, what did Kevin Hansen say today about uh, Bobby Curtis? I mean, I think Curtis is a name. I mean, I don't know why he's viewed as a long shot. I mean, he's run what thirteen,
1: eighteen, and
0: twenty-seven, twenty-four. So he's basically not quite as fast as Chris Derrick at 5K, but faster than at 10K. He's run 211, right? Yep,
3: 211
2: in Chicago, 2014. Um, so what, yeah, what, said, oh, go ahead, sorry.
0: What, what did Kevin say about his training? Did he?
2: Yeah, so I talked to him. He was very optimistic about um, Bobby Curtis. And as I mentioned um, when we were speaking with Chris Derrick, Jake Riley has actually been – he said Jake Riley has run every step of his training with uh, Bobby Curtis. They've been working out together. So he's very optimistic about both of them. But yeah, Bobby, you know, he's a guy who's an NCAA champion at 5,000 meters with, at Villanova. Um, very talented, obviously. And I think one of the things you know I was talking with Kevin about is his transition from the track runner earlier in his career. He'd run one marathon uh, 216 prior to joining Hanson's uh, in early 2013. And then he ran Fukuoka that year, I think around 214, and then Chicago in 211. And Basically, Kevin said with that first one, you know, he had joined the group. He knew Hanson's reputation as a marathon group, and, you know, but he still wasn't entirely – I think he wasn't entirely sure. He didn't – you know, he sort of questioned a couple things. He didn't buy in 100% Hanson's formula. But, he and you know, he saw a decent – you know, an okay result, but 214 from guys around 2720, you would you would hope for a little bit more. So then the second marathon uh, in Fukuoka in 2013, you know, he – he got a little, he got faster. I think he believed a little bit more in the, sorry, his second marathon in Chicago, um, which was 2014, he ran 2.11. And during that build-up, he got faster. He sort of believed in the training more. And this, at this point, uh, Kevin said, now after two full marathon cycles, uh, Bobby fully, he fully buys into the system. He knows exactly what he's doing. Uh, he's gotten stronger as well. So Kevin said, this is definitely, you know, every cycle that made progress and gains of fitness. So he's thinking that something, you know, even better than that uh, race in Chicago last fall. And ultimately, you know, he said he felt feels like both Bobby and Jake Riley can be sub two ten guys in the future. Um, it's just a question of, you know, when they're going to get there. I think Bobby's obviously the guy who's more likely to get that sooner than Jake and, you know, it's not even that he could do it at the trials. He's one of you know, several guys who's going to be running, uh, who has a legitimate shot to make the team. And one one thing that Kevin also told me about it is he's glad he didn't run a marathon uh, last year. You know, they basically said either run a marathon in the fall of 2014 or the spring of 2015, pick one of those, and then we're not going to do another one until trials. Because he feels that coming back from a marathon – in the fall, even if it was an earlier full one, like Chicago in October, it's just going to be a little bit more difficult. You know, you're a little bit behind the eight ball with recovery, so he was glad they didn't run a marathon. Curtis did, You know, he ran U.S. Cross, he made the World Cross team, so he was happy about that. But, yeah, Kevin was very uh, optimistic about Bobby's chances.
1: Yeah, I mean, they got a guy like Bobby he's got the talent to do it at 10 K. Um, and it is sort of interesting how for whatever reason, maybe because he's not having success on the track, I sort of forget about his talent, but um, you know, that's foolish to do as Robert's favorite phrase, talent doesn't go away.
2: Yeah. Well, we, we've been talking for almost an hour and a half now, so we should run through the women quick, real quickly and then probably try and wrap this up. You agree? Yeah, totally. yep. I mean, I think
0: of the women. Obviously, I think everybody says that if they're healthy, Flanagan and Desi Linden are, are locks. I mean, they basically have at least ten seconds. Of, they're ten seconds a mile better than everybody else in the field. Almost fifteen better than most of them. Than I mean, except for maybe I mean Hastings, they probably have fifteen seconds a mile. on Everybody. I mean, a thirteen-minute man doesn't lose a five K to a thirteen forty-five guy. I don't see how they lose if they're healthy. Yeah,
1: I, I yes, agree. I agree
0: 100%. So, John, you, you spoke to Desi. Did she? Is she healthy? How's the training going? How does she sound? Um, and, and you know, you, you shared some insight off off the show with me about her. I thought her her approach to the training was was quite um, well thought out.
2: Yeah, I mean, basically, she's just she's been there before with this. You know, she uh, had a little bit of a cough injury at the end of the track season last year. So she had the scratch. She was going to run the five hit neck acts. decided not to do that. And uh, she ended up, it ended up being a bit of a blessing in disguise for her, I think, because it forced her to ease into her build up in the fall and to not come back too aggressively. And, you know, her, her mindset is just be patient and that uh, she's still got, one more month of training which is going to be important because there are several hard workouts still in there but overall you know she's she's down in Florida right now um, they're doing warm weather training uh, right up until the trials and you know not, not she's in a very you know very good place she's not the uh, most vocal person but she also yeah, she's quietly confident for sure and uh yeah, so, you know, I think that's
1: basically where our mindset's at right now. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. Um was one of those group of American stars who came to Dallas for the uh, Duo to, to Rio relay, and essentially the men went first, and it was, like, you know, Meb, Abdi, Sam Chalinga, a few other guys, and they all handed off pretty close to each other. So then the women... Um, sort of it was Becky Wade, Dina, uh, Molly Huddle was there, Annie Bursagel, and Desi. Um, they all sort of decided to group up, and it was sort of a lot of people taking sort of a tempo run with a race at the end, or sort of, you know, it wasn't necessarily a competitive deal, but um, so eventually all the women grouped up, and not Desi. She stayed. She never caught up to them. She just, she just let them go. She stayed behind them and sort of, Ran her own thing, and um, essentially, she just told the other woman, "Like, you know, I know, I know what I'm doing for my training. I'm doing it, um, and you know, the mm-hmm. organizers were, were were fine with that. And sort of, I, I applaud that mentality. You know, she was focused on the bigger goal and didn't want to let anything distract that. And you know, at the same time, she goes down to Dallas and can make some promotional appearances for the race and for Brooks and you know, that sort of thing, but, you know, and help sort of grow the sport a little bit in in this area, but, you know, she doesn't want to do anything to jeopardize her Olympic chances. But, um, so I I guess, you know, the big question after assuming something doesn't go wrong to Desi and Shalane, it's, you know, who's, who's got that number three spot on, on the woman's side. That's what everybody wants to know. Um, the, the, the two, most obvious choices I think are people who who have done it before, and that's Dina castor American record holder she turns i think forty three the day after the trial so um it's gonna be a, a big weekend for for Dina uh no matter what um and then the other uh, the other person is you know Kara goucher who you know a medalist on, cool. on the track at Ten thousand meters, and I think great success in the marathon in the past,
0: well, I think you're making, missing the third obvious person who's also done it before as well, and
5: um, amy hastings, Amy Craig um
1: yeah, but I don't think she's you know- quite quite at that at that level uh, in well, the past got, is, I mean. But she's a lot
0: younger than they are. She's run 227.03 in this build-up. She's the second pass, third fastest person based on marathon qualifying times. Dina's ran 227.47. To me, Amy Craig is is very – if I was the other girls, I'd be scared of her because she, now she's, she's joined Nike. She's switched over from Brooks. She's training with Shalane. Um, the fact that, you know, I mean, you know, Kara and Shalane, when they were together, they were so good. And now, you know, Amy's replaced Kara in that group. So, you know, and, but Kara's coming back with Coach Wetmore. So, yeah, I, I think probably uh, I would put Castor as more of a long shot compared to Craig or or Goucher. I, I would say that Craig or Goucher are most likely to get it. Um, but it, it's you know, I I think you know, uh, most likely the three spots go to previous Olympians.
2: Yeah. yeah I, is it, I'm sort I,
1: shouldn't, of I shouldn't have been as dismissive as I think Amy as I was, you know, she wasn't Olympian in 2012. I guess she hasn't had the success in the marathon as the other two is what I was thinking. Yeah, she is younger and she's much closer well. to her peak. You know, it seems like there's, with running, there's sort of two questions. One, what's your absolute peak? And two, how close do you come to that on, on that day? And her current peak is much higher than uh or I don't know if much is the right word it's definitely higher than Dina's and, and uh um, Kara's. you guys there yeah the um, um.
0: Yeah, I mean, unless you go with, you know, I, I just think a big talent is going to take that third spot, and I'm assuming that Molly Huddle's not going to run it. Um, you know, Kim Conley, I don't think, is going to run it. So people like that, you know, the, the the people that are sort of making these teams on the track that maybe make it a 26.2, um, you know, probably aren't going to be them. But, John, why don't you talk a little bit about Desi's training? Because – if you go to the LA Trials website, you guys can look at, uh, at the course, and it's basically a six-mile loop that you do four times out and back, and there's a lot of turns on this course. I mean, I'm counting one, two, three, four, five. I mean, there's probably eight 90-degree turns on it, and then there's one 180-degree complete turn on it, you know, that you're going to do four different times. I mean, this thing is full of stops and starts. It's almost going to be like, you know, they always say a lot of times a marathon is for a rhythm runner, but this is not going to be a great course for a rhythm runner because there's going to be a lot of starting, a lot of accelerating. You know, someone who is good at the steeple, which is a short event, who likes that break in the rhythm, you know, might have some sort of benefit here. Um, And that definitely caught the attention of Desi, right, John?
2: Absolutely. And actually, um, you know, speaking of steeple, it's, one one woman who might display a place of less strength is uh, Sarah Holt, because, you know, she's, you know, not an experience in the marathon or maybe doesn't have the, quite the top-end talent as some of these other women, but she's basically excelled on a number of surfaces. You know, she's run well in cross-country, in the steeple. She's basically run every event from 1,500 to the marathon. So, you know, maybe, maybe that helps her. But, yeah, the course, as you said, Robert, basically – you know, if you just the USC section alone has a lot of times. It basically runs from the LA Live area, to the start, the finish, down to, you know, USC's campus and then back. And Denny wasn't really worried about the USC area, even though there's a lot of times there because, you know, they're not as severe. There are a couple, you know, 90-degree times, but she wasn't totally worried about that. What she did say is, you know, she said it's definitely going to be a factor is the 180-degree times and there's going to be four of them near the start finish area, and then there's another one in the opening 2.2-mile loop uh, at the start of the race. And those are going to be rhythm breakers. You know, for for someone like Desi, I think she'll be able to handle it, but it it will be interesting, um, especially with how often those turns happen. And Kevin Hanson also said he thought that was going to be important that, you know, they get used to that aspect. So, you know, I think runners, the marathon is preparing for this race. You know, if, if there's a way to simulate that in training, maybe, you know, you're doing a tempo workout, maybe instead of just doing a straight eight mile, you do a uh, four mile, out, four mile back and then turn around 180 degrees real quick because De he did think that was going to be an important part of the race.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think you're used to running an autopilot in a straight line. Here, you've got to stop, put, plant your leg, I mean, I would take that turn as wide as possible and not you know, run an extra 20 yards every time just to, you know, so your legs don't cramp up. And I assume – it's hard for me to follow the course when I look at it. I mean, John, are they going to do that right before the finish as well? Like, is that right before the finish, or do you run straight into the finish?
2: It's you know? looking like – I mean, it looks to me like you do it before the finish. All right, I'm trying to actually – I'm trying to figure it out. It's, it's not entirely clear to me that arrows are pointing in a way that you would think they do it straight to the finish. And if that's the case, I was also thinking, even on the penultimate loop, you know, you, you get to uh, 20 miles, and especially 26 miles in the marathon, you have to make a turn like that. You've got stuff aching in your legs. You've got a you might have a cramp or something. And if you land improperly or just, you know – something like that. It's going to be a place where people make a move. It's maybe where you feel a little bit more stressed. And if that, you know, we'll have to look into it closer to the race, but if that's something that's coming up right before the finish, if someone's battling for the win or for that third spot, uh, that's going to be a very, very important area.
1: You guys are looking at this on LATrials2016.com? Where are you finding this course?
2: Yeah. Yeah, it's hard
0: to find. It's it's hard to find a close-up.
2: I'm going to post um, it right into the chat box, right there,
1: if anyone wants to click on it. It's interesting, because the, the last trials, they definitely had a, at least one 180-degree turn. I think they had four loops, so it's probably done four times. Um, but I would have hated that, personally, as a runner. And I think it shows something to the, you know, how the, the Brooks Handsome team really understands the marathon, that they're specifically training for this turn, because I think that's something that, that – You know, you figure, oh, whatever, everybody has to do it. But, no, it's going to mess up your rhythm. I assume sort of even sort of, you know, if you're coming to a stop, starting back up again, sort of the, you know, how you're burning energy in and that little brief moment uh, changes. And so you want your body to be used to that. Um, And a guy like, I don't know, maybe it'll favor a cross-country runner or something like that. So I think that might be good for somebody like Chris Derrick. Um, You know, Galen Rupp, uh traditionally isn't that good of a cross-country runner except for that one ncaa cross um so i think something like this is something he just doesn't want on a on a marathon course um so you know a little intrigue and it you know the one thing uh, i'm surprised you can design a course with just 90 degree turns but you need to lease those at the very least to make a course for him. and so um It's almost going to remind me more of like a, I don't know, a transition zone and a triathlon with people stopping and sprinting and getting going again. It'll be interesting, to to say the least. Did Dina, excuse me, John, did Desi, you know, did you ask her at all about any sort of the other competitors and how she views the field? Yeah, so Desi, you
2: know, she didn't want to, discount anyone um, because, you know, obviously if you don't mention someone, they're going to have that motivation to come back to you. I mean, I don't know. Everyone's going to have the motivation to make the team, so it's not that big a deal. But um, what she, you know, she mentioned uh, Kellen, Kellen Taylor, who uh, ran well lost year in Houston, 228. She mentioned uh, Brian Nelson had a good poll. So a couple, you yeah, know, outside of, I think she was going for a couple of women who were outside of the, uh, the big names, like her and Shalane and Kara Gaucha. and then, um, you know, I asked her about Dina, and just, was she amazed that Dina is still a viable candidate to make this team? She's, only, you know, 43 years old in a, in a month, and she said, you know, if you look at her age, it's kind of, you know, she'd say, no, no way is it someone who's 43 going to be on the Olympic marathon team. But, and then she was just like, but once you know, it's Dina and you just see everything she's accomplished, you know, it makes perfect sense, uh, that she's still be running at a high level. So th- those are the people she mentioned. Um, and then, uh, Kevin Hansen also was very, he was saying that I think people are underestimating car Gaucha and, that he said people especially underestimate her toughness. And, uh, I have been hearing, you know, a couple other runners or, you know, articles I've read recently. It does seem like is going to be in pretty good shape. So I think, you know, people, uh, she's now getting on people's radar that, you know, obviously everyone knows Cara's talent, but she just hasn't run a marathon as a successful marathon in a while. Uh, but yeah, I think people starting to realize she's a real threat too.
1: Yeah. Um, Kara ran the rock and roll half in, in San Antonio in December. And uh, Amy Craig, who's with Brooks, uh, she actually now you know is training with Chalene Flanagan, even though they, they have different sponsors, but they decided to get together and both train in Portland. They're training together, and they're both there. And, oh, well, um, Amy's
2: now with, with Nike. Amy switched Oh, she has switched. Yeah.
1: Well, I didn't know that was Envy or what. So I guess that's sort of precipitated that the contract was coming up. I th- thought that might be the direction she would go. But um, anyway, you know, it's an ex- experienced group, and uh, I sat on the press truck next to their coach, uh, Jerry Schumacher, who's Chris Derrick's coach as well, and sort of, you know, they were content to let Kara um, beat them, you know, in this race, and they just took it as a workout, uh, ran a good tempo, and they were a little earlier in their preparation than Kara, and um, so, you know, so it was just sort of you know an interesting way to see it. But you know, come to at least in December, you know, Carol was in, in as, as good a shape as or in better shape than you know. Obviously, this race might have been a little bit different, but she's got farther to come from. But she showed in December, at least, that things were going in in the right direction. Uh, as for Dina, um, she was in Dallas as well. And I I talked to her about sort of, you know, how she she decided to do the trials because she's worked with the LA Marathon in the past and sort of been their ambassador. Uh, You see a big A6 race. And um, here's what Dina said about uh, doing trials.
3: I didn't want to do the trial um, right after I finished Chicago this year. I just felt like. This year? Yeah. Yes, like that was my. I, I, now it was my time to get my teammates ready. But in getting them ready, I trained them I reviewed Putting in the work, I might as well toe the line. And I really, really love being part of this. Sport this,
1: it gives me a here this week. I'll stop the audio there. It's not, it's, there's some background noise. Um, but essentially, she said, you know, after Chicago this year when she ran very well, she's like, uh, you know, I wasn't going to do the trials. And I found that crazy because she did so well, but she said, you know, she was pretty much done with it. And then, you know, reassessed. And that'd be good to, to, uh, you know, give it a shot. And she's sort of like the, uh, you know, almost a mother to her training group before she was just going to focus on helping them possibly make the team. And she's like, you know, I might as well give it a shot myself. So uh, it's a great story that you know her and Meb are out there, you know, masters runners trying to make the team. Uh, you know, even Abby, I mean, he's gotten all, but no male has ever made five Olympic five Olympic teams, so he'd be the first guy ever to do it in the U.S. Um, I don't think he can totally be discounted. He ran well in Dallas. He was um, right there with Meb, so it, it'll. It's going to be so good, you know, all the way, all along, and um, both the men and the women. And that's one of the reasons we wanted to have this show, is just sort of start priming the pump, get people excited, because, you know, we're one, one month from the day, Uh You're going to know your Olympic men's and marathon women's team. Uh, Robert, what, what are your thoughts, more so on a women's race? Well, I think it's
0: going to be big. I mean, I'm just really excited about it. I mean, it's going to be really amazing race. I mean, I think the fact that Dina... I mean, come on, she didn't make it four years ago. The fact that she wasn't going to do the trials, I mean, she could make it, but I think it's a real long shot. Um, I've lost the, the chat box, but so all the questions that I did see and they are gone, unless you all could see some of them, there's some good questions. But one person's like, why is the trials in L.A.? What do you think of that versus four? Because the, they said the Olympics are in Rio. But I think what one, people need to understand is Rio in August is not that hot. It's not going to be a sweltering humidity pile of heat most likely i mean it's fall there for them so um you know I, I i there was some controversy obviously in picking la but you know i'm fine with the trials being there um i'm not a real big fan of the fact that both races are basically going off at the same time i like to have a gap um you know between the between the races a bigger gap um I just hate when races finish together. But one of the things that I like about the uh, trials versus what you see at the these major marathons in the U.S. is that the, the men are going to go first, so the gap will be getting wider between the two between the two races, um, not smaller. I forgot what the gap is in the start time. I'm trying to find that. Um, somebody had sent it to me recently. I could not find it on their website. LA people, if you're listening to this, you need to put the uh, There it is. Um, So the men's race starts at... uh, So the men start 16 minutes before the women. 10.06 for the men and 10.22 for the women. So in the men, let's say they run 2.10, the women run 2.25. So they'll finish, that'll be 15 minutes. So there'll be like a 30-minute gap between them. So when the men finish um, you know, the women will be at about mile 20. I just wish they would add in, like, you're closing down the streets for three hours. Let's just add in another 15 minutes. I know that there's TV worries, but even sh- hell, don't even turn on the NBC. You know, instead of starting at 10, start the men at 945, you know, and start the women at 1022. People don't need to see the first 15 minutes of the marathon. Then there would be a huge gap. There would be a 45 minute gap so the men's race would finish we could focus on that and then the women would be coming you know right up to the 30k mark and then we could see the whole women's race play out or the significant parts you know what i'm saying it it drives me nuts how you're watching these major marathons and you're inevitably missing the break because they're either interviewing the men's winner or something like that but um it's going to be a a fantastic day i mean just thinking about all the big names and um, I think, particularly on the men's side, with the, you know the Chilangos and the, the Bobby Curtises and Derricks and all these ROPS, you know, guys that, that
1: haven't run marathons before, um, it's going to be quite exciting. We we have a guy in the chat box saying hmm. they always say it's not going to be hot at the Olympics, and it's always hot. Um, so that inspired me to sort of look up the weather in Rio, and uh, actually, the weather in Rio. is... Pretty constant year round. The average high in this August seventy eight degrees. The yeah. average high this time of year is like eighty six. So, um, I mean seventy eight is not atrocious, but with some humidity, uh, you know, in sun you don't want to run, run a marathon in it. But no, um, sure. I, I, you know, people ask why it wasn't in Florida. So it's pretty simple. Florida didn't submit a bid for the marathon trials. It, it came down to Houston and L A. and you know, as much as we just want to put the trials in some nice location, you know, it costs a lot of money to do that. And the athletes need to be paid. I think there's about, you know, roughly a quarter million dollars in prize money on each side. So um, if you can't, you know, get get, get everything in line and get the financial resources necessary to do this, you, know, you, you can't host the trial. So I think L.A. is going to be great. Um, Houston did a tremendous job. And. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm personally looking forward to being out there in a month. I'm pretty
0: amazed. On, on AccuWeather weather, they have a detailed forecast from February thirteenth. Apparently, we can expect thunder showers. <laughs> weather Rio? It's, it's of L.A. I'm amazed. I didn't know that the weather. They, <laughs> I didn't think they could predict it five days in advance, and apparently, they have a um, Los Angeles, California.
1: <laughs> weather map here for... It's like facing a lightning strike. It never rains in L.A. There I you go, wait. gentlemen, a Let's com exclusive. It'll be raining February 13th at the Olympic Marathon Trials. Um, well, you know, between now and then, uh, we'll have the sort of indoor track season, you know, getting kicked off. Um, we'll have Super Bowl, John, good luck on that one. A huge New England Patriots fan.
2: Yeah, but uh, for a repeat. You
1: know, but um, do you guys have any parting thoughts before we sign off today?
0: Well, I kind of view the Patriots is like McCluskey after 2012. They need to be able to have a good season this year. And wait, 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 last Robert,
2: year. Robert, we won four Super Bowls. McCluskey has they one have- gold medal. What more do you want?
0: Well, you want to prove that it wasn't because of the play of football. There's now questions about the past performances.
2: So Tom, Tom Brady ripping through the league for the first half of the season this year, that wasn't enough for you?
0: I'm just giving you a hard time, John. Just giving you a hard time. I'm actually yeah. a huge Tom Brady fan, and I, I'm a little bit torn. I'm in, this, I'm in a survivor pool for the playoffs, which is quite hard, because you have to pick teams. You don't want to pick a team that you think is going to win the Super Bowl this week. So I, uh, if Brady makes the Super Bowl, I will, I will root for him.
1: Um, so, should be interesting, but the, the, you know, the biggest thing between now and open trials occurs tomorrow. I think there's no question about it. There's going to be nothing bigger next month, and that's the World Anti-Doping Report on Corruption at the IAAF. Um, it's going to be all hands on deck at letsrun.com, so we wanted to give you guys a little inspiration today before. Who knows? Maybe we're all super depressed tomorrow, or maybe we're encouraged because the sport's getting cleaner. Um, But, you know, I I think tomorrow's... uh, Personally, you know, it's depressing to me, but I think uh, this independent investigation is a good thing, right? Like, we weren't surprised that all the Russians were doping. We already knew that. I think that the level of corruption surprised me, um, and maybe with that extending into Kenya gets depressing. But... You know, the drug testing and track and field, it's still hands better than anything in American pro sports. So, um, you know, I, I think this can only lead to a cleaner sport. And uh, you know, that, that's one thing I want. You know, at one point, maybe we should have somebody, Let's Run.com uh, fan Malcolm Gladwell on. And he's all for the legalization of, of doping in sport. And I think it's just a terrible idea. I think it's the end of women's sport. But um, you know we can have that discussion another day. I think tomorrow is a huge, huge, huge day for the sport. Um, you, you, any, I keep saying any parting shots, but John yeah. Robert, thirty seconds on well, um, uh, tomorrow.
0: I mean, I I think we should end the show quickly because last time it was like three in the morning, right? So they still have not sent us the call in number. So I don't know if I have to get up at four a.m. I need to go to bed pretty soon if I do, but. I mean, I mean, Dick Pound said there would be a wow factor to Mario's allegations, So I, I do think this could blow us away. I mean, surprise us. Um, and I just, I, it's weird. I'm almost like looking forward to this like Christmas. I mean, I think that we're at the point now where we should be celebrating these types of things. And, you know, the, the people should be, you know, USATF should almost be excited when they catch a cheat from now on. So hopefully the tide has turned. I mean, it's, I think it's going to be negative publicity, But for some reason, I'm trying to be positive. Again, as I said to Chris Derrick, I mean, look, a woman paid hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of bribes, and she still tested positive. So um, there are some positives for some reason. Maybe I've just gotten so tired over 15 years. But, you know, I'm not going to predict on what's going to happen. I don't know. We might as well just wait about 12 hours, and we'll find out.
2: Yeah, I'm with Robert. I think that's a – we'll find out tomorrow, and then I can give you an informed take. I'm not going to speculate on stuff I – don't
1: know about yet. It's a good way to do it. If we start doing these podcasts regularly, we need to have sponsors. So I'll give a sponsor plug to Generation UCAN. I actually have some cool audio, which I need to find. Nathan um, Wittenhine and David both use Generation UCAN for fueling. It's a better, better energy source. Um, you, you get energy without the sugar spike, essentially. And I had a video with... Um, Baroon of Generation UCAN saying how Ritz contacted them on their own and said, hey, I want, I want to start using your product. I've heard about it. I've had a lot of problems fueling. And so they gave the product to Ritz, And then, you know, that led to a sponsorship where they now pay RITS. Um, but it, it's a product worth considering, and, and they're a supporter of let And they have a new uh, – they used to only have a liquid drink sort of powder, but they now have uh, energy bars with the special, their special sugar in it which is exclusive to them. So if you're looking for a better way to fuel, consider checking out Generation UCAN. Uh, if you use code Let's Run, I think you get an extra 15% off. But um, sponsor plug last. last. So all the tens of thousands of you guys still listening, we appreciate it. So does Generation UCAN. John, Robert, um, I hope we don't have to get up at 4 AM. Anyone, who, If anyone's listening, this is worth Wada. Can you please uh, give us our sign-in call for the call? Um, tomorrow. We, we, need, we need that information. But uh, a big thanks to Chris Derrick for joining us. Thank you, John. Thank you, Robert. Thank you, everyone out there in Let's Run.com Nation. Uh, it's going to be a fabulous 2016, and we're looking forward to it. For Let's Run.com, this is Weldon Johnson signing off. Thank you. And we do want to apologize for all
0: the Mike Rossi fans for not predicting him to make the change. Thank you.